You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Cooler than yesterday. He, Nathan, appreciate all the people that came up and helped with uh, the youth rally yesterday. And uh, Nathan was among those that uh, did games as well as sang. And so... Uh, I think the first song wasn't probably too tough for him, but then he went outside and was outside in the heat for about an hour playing with the kids. And then uh, he came back in just dripping uh, and, uh, and then had to sing again. So I don't know, he was, he was uh, dragging a little bit by then, I think. But, uh, uh, but the youth rally was really good yesterday. Um, we'll get some pictures to you. Maybe we'll have, have the pictures by next week. But uh, yeah, we had uh, you know, close to 120 uh, here all together and a uh, really good group really good uh, service had a lot of um, a lot of kids here so that was a blessing all right well we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 5 to start with and uh, the printouts are coming uh, Shane is back there waiting for those to print off and then he'll uh, pass those out to you but we're going to be in Romans and you know the gist of what I was attempting to do last week as I, as I told you I've got it's I don't have trouble when I got a lot of ground to cover I have trouble when I have a lot of good ground to cover when there's a lot that I want to get in and such a small amount of time to do it and uh, that's kind of where I've been really I feel like since we've started this particular connection group with the relationship and emphasizing the, re the real relationship is what we're emphasizing real Christianity what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ and so last week we were trying to emphasize the seriousness of sin. And how many of you think that sin is serious? You know, everybody, how many of you think you know how serious sin is? You think you know the extent of it? Uh, all right, the couple. Uh, I would say that I don't think we have a clue. I think we have a clue. But what I mean is that how tricky it is and how much a part of our makeup it really is and how, again, how tricky it is. It's not just, again, the, we, I emphasized a lot last week about behavior, and, and I'm gonna, I'll mention that again so I won't spend too much time on that. But it's not that behavior, our behavior doesn't change as Christian, and it's not that we don't. Matter of fact, if I'm, in, if I'm able to get to 1 Thessalonians again, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3 on this Wednesday... Just naturally, that's where we are in the text, and he's talking about the grace of God that he's talking about keeping, my, keeping the commandments that I've given you. So, I mean, we have a pattern to follow. <clears throat> There's a certain behavior that is expected from a Christian, but the behavior, as I'll say probably again in a moment, so I probably should just say it in a moment, but the behavior is more of the, uh, is the fruit, uh, not the root. And we just, we, if we're not careful, we just emphasize behavior so much. And again, I think I'll, I'll be able to allude to that again here in a second. So, but today, because if you don't realize how serious sin is, the great consequences of sin, and, you know, realizing the seriousness of sin helps us realizing the greatness of grace. So the whole idea of the message, the, these two going together, lesson five and lesson six, week five, week six, are... Sin is more serious than you can ever imagine. And therefore, grace is greater than you can even imagine. 
But if you minimize sin, then you cheapen grace. And that's one reason why we, the God, I say we, the Bible doesn't minimize sin, uh, but it just maximizes grace. But without further ado, let's read Romans 5, 12 through 21. Romans 5, 12 through 21, where the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the free gift. So the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Are you reigning in life? <laughs> yes, that's what he says, that this is what, why Jesus did what he did. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So, you know, it's an interesting passage of Scripture, obviously, uh, especially the way it's worded, but I think you get the idea of it that the Bible says that he who was to come is going to be like Adam. But not like Adam, because instead of causing, because of his failure, sending everybody else into sin, his obedience is going to give the opportunity for everyone to be righteous and to be saved. So this lesson is about understanding the magnitude of grace in our lives. And, and, and it's about learning to accept that grace, accept that grace, and to let God's goodness transform us. Listen to this, this statement. Instead of striving hard in our own strength. If that don't describe many Christians that I know, I don't know what does. Striving hard in your own strength versus accepting God's grace and letting His goodness and His grace transform us from the inside out by beginning by transforming the way we think. I want to read this one verse again in verse 17 of chapter 5 of Romans, where the Bible says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they that receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. I just think it's a powerful statement to think that He wants us to reign in life. He wants us to conquer in life. He wants us to rule in this life. But if we don't have the proper understanding of sin, we will think that we can just be good and do good enough. And if you think that, that, that reveals very deeply that you do not have the right perspective on sin. 
because you cannot outbehave your sin. It's because it's so much deeper than that. Behavior, I mean, there's a lot of different behavior modifications out there in the world, but uh, that's not righteousness. It's by the grace of God. So, in way of introduction, I'll try to hit what I can hit here, thinking about this context. So just be thinking about that with me. What does it mean to reign in this life by grace? I think that's the description of the abundant Christian life. But I know it doesn't mean to strive hard in our own strength, all right? And so if we reduce sin to just like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't act too great today. I'm going to act better tomorrow. And I've got sin conquered because I acted good today. Well, then we're not going to appreciate how good God's grace is because really it's almost like grace is like a, uh, I don't know why this came to mind, but you know, there's like board games and card games. There's like these board games that, uh, this is going to sound really nerdy, but there's a board game called Settlers of Catan. And, uh, you know, I think on the, on the original deal that you can play that there's like, what, four players, six players? Okay. But if you but say you have a couple more people that want to play, you can get uh, add another module on. Is that what it's called? Sure. I'm waiting for you nerds to identify yourselves. All right, I'm trying to catch you. And Melanie's the one that keeps answering, so the rest of you are keeping quiet. But basically, it's just an add-on. You can play the game with four people. Uh, fine, you're good. Oh, but you want a couple more people to play? Then you have to you just you just get this little add-on. And if you and if you think that the victorious Christian life is about controlling your behavior, all the grace of God is to you is a little add-on every once in a while when you need it. But if we can understand the magnitude of sin, what it will help us to do in turn is to rely on the abundance of God's grace. The Apostle Paul, you know, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. We just, the behavior, it's not in the behavior. And so we'll, we'll discuss that. As again, I mentioned that a lot uh, last week. I want to talk about sin for a little bit. In reality, sin is worse than you think. You're worse than you think. Jesus is better than you think. And grace is bigger than you think. And I don't mean slightly. I mean by an, an order of magnitude. The negative must become exceedingly negative that God's positive might be exceedingly positive, which is basically what I'm saying. Understanding how bad sin is. Um, sin is a condition that is systematic, persuasive, negative, and destructive. If sin is merely behavioral, then we will always be trying to manage our behavior. We will always believe that Jesus is more concerned with our behavior than with anything else. Then life with Him, even after salvation, will always be about managing behavior. We will, always be, we will always relate to Him based upon our works, our doing, our keeping of His rules or the rules that we've, we're accustomed to. We will, reduce, we will always reduce Him to a referee who is merely measuring us, keeping score, and judging our behavior in light of the rules. It isn't that God isn't interested in behavior. But behavior isn't the basis of the relationship and the generating of good behavior is not God's prime objective. Thousands upon thousands of Christians have crashed and burned in that trap. It's a lie. 
Making behavior the prime objective of Christianity is a guaranteed dead end in your journey. So when we think about this, if, if God wanted that to be the case, He could make us like the rest of creation. Just a rock. In other words, He made a rock to be a rock. He made animals to do certain things. They don't have free will is the point. He gave us free will so that we might have the opportunity to have a relationship so that we might have the opportunity to have fellowship with Him. Behavior is not the foundation, it's the fruit. The foundation is a growing relationship with the Savior. That's not based on, well, Lord, I didn't do good today, so I'll come back tomorrow when I do better, or I'll try to do better. That way we can kind of get our relationship back. Now, it's not that sin and bad behavior can't get in the way of our relationship, and I'll try to emphasize that more later, but right now I'm just trying to say that it's not the foundation, it's the fruit. And too often we make our behavior the foundation rather than the fruit. Um, it, it's the overflow. Not the, it's the overflow of the bottom line, not the bottom line. It's the overflow of that. Jesus is not a behavior modification specialist. I'll tell you something about behavior modification. You can act better for selfish reasons. That's why sin gets you. You can act better for selfish reasons. Maybe so you can be blessed by God. I'm going to act better because I want to be blessed. Uh, I'm going to act better. You, you, you can be better to other people. Not for them, for you. Because you feel better now that you're acting better. That's sin, people. That's self. That's just lifting yourself up once again so that you might fall. Again. And it's just this never-ending cycle. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and that's why I said, I'm not saying, and that's why I say almost let me finish. Maybe. So just bear with me for a little bit because what I'm saying right now is I am not saying that you don't behave. If you know, for, maybe this isn't the best example, but just take marriage, for instance. You know, you're talking about a relationship. If my life is finding out what are the rules of the way I'm trying to treat my wife, and I look at those rules, I'm like, okay, uh, what are the rules here? Okay, I'm going to follow these rules to make sure that I'm doing, good, I'm doing right by my wife. Now, there's rules. There's obviously certain things. But the, the point that I'm going to eventually try to get to is just how, just how sin goes this far, but grace can go further. In the same way, love goes further than me just behaving right because it's not just me saying what's the bottom line of how I'm supposed to treat my wife because I want our relationship to be good. I do, but if I just love her, that's going to be better than just doing rules oftentimes are the bare minimum rules oftentimes are just the bare minimum and I, th I think that's one of the points i'm trying to get to that rules are are the are the bare minimum grace goes further than that is the point and so that's not the best example do i sound crazy to anybody else so far 
That's right. Love covers a multitude of sins. But again, I, I understand 100% where Ralph is coming from. But what I hope is that, that if, I can, if I can get maybe to the latter part of this lesson, maybe I'll have a better answer. Uh, and I'll try to give time to make sure that I did answer it, Chad. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Randy. Yep. You know, and that's good. And it kind of reminds me of a point that uh, we, we were talking about the other day. Uh, something about rehab got brought up. Rehab got brought up. And we were having this discussion. And, uh, you know, the thing was, is what well, does rehab work? Uh, well, and what's the answer to that question? Okay, and, and all of those are acceptable answers, right? Yes, uh, if you work it and you have to want it. Yeah. Yeah, and so the, to me, that's the relatable thing. So obviously, somebody that's, say, you know, going to rehab for drinking, drugs, pornography, whatever it is, Somebody's going to rehab for that stuff. Can they get help? Absolutely. How, how many addicts, though, you know, have the don't have necessarily the right motivation so they can behave well for a while? You know, but then they eventually crash and burn, right? And, and that's what I'm trying to relate to. Like, wh where's the heart at in this thing? And again, right now I'm almost recapping a little bit of last week, but you're helping me. And I know, again, uh, about 20 pages from now... <laughs> And uh, there's, there's, a, there's a really good answer. So, but, but again, emphasizing that behavior does matter. I cannot have a good relationship. I mean, uh, I can't have a good relationship with my wife if I don't treat her right, if I don't behave right. Uh, I, I can't have a good relationship with her or my children or if I'm not behaving well. Absolutely. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's the, that that's the bottom line. Uh, do you love me? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've given you a plate, you know, I'm, I'm paying the bills, ain't I? I'm making sure that the air stays on. What do you mean, do I love you? Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> and that, that, that could be another conversation. I'll let Shane jump in here quick. Hmm. Man, yeah.
Yeah, and uh, by the way, that's if that that did was that on YouTube yesterday? Did we put that on YouTube? Okay, so find it on YouTube. It'll probably eventually make its way onto the podcast. Um, but yeah, try to find those messages from the youth rally yesterday. And the message that Shane's talking about is the one from Nick Feltz. I'll actually be orda- helping ordain Nick Feltz tomorrow. And I'll be preaching his charge tomorrow as well up in uh, Brookings. Looking forward to that. But yeah, that was an excellent message. And that, that really does tie in really well with this message. Uh, so... But let, let, me, let me look at a verse here. The Bible says in 1 Peter, and by the way, I didn't get an outline for myself, so I don't know what the blanks are, if you care. Uh, sin is worse than you think. I think that's in there. Oh, you know what? I'm good. I'm good here, Shane. I do have it right here. Sin is worse than you think. Uh, the next thing is that sin is a condition, not merely a behavior. Sin is a condition, not merely a behavior. All right. All right. Then uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should not live, I'm sorry, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So we are able to live unto righteousness, which is behavior. But it's because of what he did in transforming us. He's a powerful Savior. Listen to this. He's a powerful Savior an intimate friend who knew everything there is to know about you before the foundation of the world. Knowing Him and having a relationship with Him will change my behavior. But behavioral change is not what it's all about. Sin is not just a doing problem. Sin is a being problem. Sin is a being problem. So knowing Him and having a relationship with Him will change my behavior but behavioral change is not what it's all about. Uh, maybe I, I'm trying to think of a personal example, but I just think of the times that I failed, the times that I may uh, give into temptation, or if even I just begin to give into temptation in my mind, you know, or in my heart, and then I'm convicted and I'm feeling like a dog, you know, because you know I didn't misbehave because I didn't maybe actually even do anything, but maybe just say that I do do something that I, with the times I do fail and give in or whatever. Then I'm convicted about that. I didn't behave well. Well, what do I do in that situation? I go to a God that loves me and forgives me. And the fact that He loves me so much, I am motivated. I am primarily motivated in my life by God's love rather than God's judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not sometimes motivated by God's judgment. That's there. That's there. But I'm motivated by God's love in that I'm just like, Lord, thank you so much. And here's what I'll say oftentimes. It's, it's almost a habit of mine. When I sin, when I fail, even if it's just in my thought life or in my, in my you know, what I, what, what's going on inside of my heart, I'll say, Lord, I mean, I feel like a dog. I feel terrible. But then I say, Lord, thank you for the reminder of who I am. Because we get aggravated because, like, man, I thought I was better than this. No, you ain't better. What are you talking about? You thought you was better than this. Uh... You know, you're not better than this. It's sin. It's in you. You're not better than this. Lord, thank you for the reminder of who I am. But also, thank you for the reminder of who you are. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I'm motivated on that to, you know, draw closer to him. Because it's not like I don't look at it as God. In the, I don't look at it in those cases as God's throwing up his hands in disappointment or frustration with me at all. I look at, 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 at it as uh, sin. I look at it as wrong. 
but I see it as a God in heaven who, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, we were talking about kind of this very subject. It was pretty cool because somebody actually came to me and we were having a conversation and they said, how do I live, the, how, how do you live the Christian life? And you know what they were saying? Same thing we could all say. I start doing pretty good. I feel like I'm behaving well basically, but then I keep messing up. Do, do I really even mean that I'm sorry when I repent and then I find myself back in the same place again some other time? Uh, it, it, there's this hopeless feeling and I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not, but there can be an awfully hopeless feeling if you're thinking you're just going to get it one of these days as far as just behavioral is concerned. But Because when, I, when I'm in that situation, God's grace motivates me not to sin, but to draw closer to Him. And I don't think of it in those terms. Now, there is a time to where love is the greatest motivator that, 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 that a Christian should live by, that a child of God should live by. Our motivation should be love. We should be motivated by love. But there's times that our hearts can get cold, our hearts can get hard, and love isn't enough. And so my mind and my heart, and that's another thing too, is that we can behave pretty well when our minds and hearts are well. What did Jesus say? If a man looks on a woman to commit adultery after her, or if a woman looks on a woman to, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, and it would go the same for women, but if a, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, what's it say? He's already committed adultery in his heart. But it's okay, though, because he behaved. He didn't commit adultery. So he's good. No, he's not good. He's committed adultery in his heart. And to me, that's one of the things, because it could almost sound like, oh, preacher, I think you're going away from us behaving and living right in righteousness. Not at all. Like Jesus says and like the Bible says, I'm going to step further than that. Because in righteousness, it's not that. So, so I may be behaving well, but if, my, if, if it's... Not, but, but if my heart and mind is ate up with all this other stuff. Uh, and so just, just say, for instance, in that, in that context, maybe, you know, a man looks on a woman to lust after her. You know, God's love motivates you. Lord, how could I let my heart and my mind go that way? Whether you're married, whether you're single, wherever you're at, you start thinking about adultery, fornication, uh, things of that nature. Uh, you know, I, God's love ought to motivate us to say, Lord, You've got better for me. You know better than me. Um, you know, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I'm just going to keep going on. The thing I said to the fellow yesterday was, I was like, we, we, we got to understand how much God, how, how aggravated do you get if you've got a grandkid or if you can remember having children? How, you know, don't you just hate it when those stupid little idiots? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they're 12 months old, but they get up. And they fall all over the place? What's their deal? You know? I mean, they sometimes they might be by a table and they might grab something. What's their problem? I mean, do they, how do they not know better than that by now? You know? And of course, I hope you understand I've been facetious. That ain't how you are with a toddler. And you think, you think you're a soldier, but really, you're just a baby. And there's a time to be a soldier, don't misunderstand me. But first, we've got to understand that. And I, and, and I believe there's a sense in which that's how God looks at us. That it's, he's not sitting there just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe they just messed their diaper again. Did they not know that the bathroom was right in there? They could have crawled themselves in there, climbed up on the toilet by themselves, and, and done this themselves. 
You generally don't do that. And so, <laughs> I got to be careful here because I, when I ad lib, it goes crazy. Because I was about to tell Ralph that, so even when you mess your pants, God still loves you, amen? <laughs> um, and don't get aggravated at you. But uh, that's, I think there's a sense that, that you look at it that way. But, but, but again, to complete my thought as I go all kinds of different ways and hopefully get on track eventually, um, you know, if, if a man commits adultery in his heart or looks on a woman to lust after her, he commits adultery in his heart. Well, love ought to motivate us. Oh, Lord, thank you for revealing to me and reminding me of my old nature and who I am apart from you. Thank you for your great and wonderful grace that delivers me from those things. And thank you that I can live in that victory. I don't say, God, I'm going to do better. I just say, Lord, thank you that you've given me the victory. Thank you for making me a conqueror so that I can do better, so that I will do better. It's not me doing better. That's the Christ in me part. But then, so that's love motivating you. But there's another verse that you may need if your heart grows cold and you grow distant, uh, where the Bible says that adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. You might need that one if the love's not motivating you. So that's where, you know, law or judgment can come in. But a good parent, and that was Ralph's question a week or two ago, that's an excellent question. Man, if I don't have the best example of parents or whatever growing up, and you start talking about parents, I, maybe I don't relate to that as well. Um, and that's very, very true. That's just the way it is. We relate usually to what we've seen. But I think we could all agree that a good parent doesn't just, you know, whoop their kids every time they do or say the least little thing wrong. Um, no, there's usually a correction. You know, going back to the baby, you're usually lifting them up. You know, you're usually helping them. And if they do, uh, you know, if it's other example to where it's a, a, an older child that's doing the wrong thing, man, you talk to them. You try to give them instruction. You try to help them. You read in the Bible, God is usually trying to help people get right so he can get them back in the place of blessing. He doesn't judge just for the sake of judging. The Bible says in wrath he remembers mercy. Um, so uh, the next little blank here on your outline is sin is death in us. Sin is death in us. Sin, and I've I got to move on from this sin stuff. Um, <laughs> only because I, I want to get to the grace part. I talked a lot about sin last week. Sin is destruction bound up in our spiritual genetic makeup. It's hardwired into our human heart. It's rapidly re, uh, reproducing spiritual condition that's at the root level of our spiritual being. Sin resists God, defies His authority, resents His rule, rebels against His laws. Sin is that which leads us to be our own gods and to pursue our own needs, perpetuate our own kingdoms, and please our own desires. Sin replaces God, dethroning Him and enthroning self. Self or sin drives us away from God, separates us from Him, and places us at enmity with Him. The Bible says in Romans 8, 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. That word enmity uh, sounds a lot like a part of what it means, enemy. It's, it's just diametrically opposed. It's opposite to God. Sin is in me. That's the next blank. Sin is in me. We were, born, we were born into sin. It's just a part of us that 
will be there until Jesus comes, until we get a new body. God, uh, and you know, last week we looked at cancer as an illustration, which I always am a little hesitant to do because most people have been touched by cancer, and I don't mean to trivialize or um, be insensitive when we talk about cancer, but when someone's diagnosed with cancer, they can be treated and later be uh, proclaimed cancer-free. And there's people, praise the Lord, in here that have been declared cancer-free. But you know, that's really kind of a best guess, isn't it? It's never them just saying, hey, bam, mark it down, cancer-free. It's usually a best guess. Uh, there's no way to know for sure. Cancer should, could still be growing in the body. Chemotherapy and radiation was a best effort from professionals to do the only things that they knew to blast as many of the cancer cells as possible and to hope they won't grow back. It's a best hope scenario. But there are no absolute guarantees that cancer cells are all dead or that they won't resume reproduction. Thankfully, God doesn't have that kind of approach to sin. He doesn't say, well, man, you're behaving pretty well here. I I'm going to declare you sin-free. You've just been behaving extremely well here lately. Nor is God's treatment in relation to our sin a best hope scenario. Like, well, maybe you'll be fine. God isn't guessing at His cure or doing the best He can. You ever think about that with doctors? Uh, a, a doctor, if, if a doctor goes into business for themselves, they open a medical what? Practice. <laughs> Doctors practice, right? They're practicing medicine. It's always a learning process. Um, and there's some definites along the way. But the idea is that with God, it's, it's not a practice. It's not a trial and error thing. God's, God's remedy for sin and the condition is irreversal and eternally comprehensive. God, God did not deal wistfully, experimentally, or temporarily with sin. He dealt with it ultimately and with finality. And that's why Jesus did what He did on the cross for you and for me. Ephesians 2 talks about our pre-salvation condition. It says we were dead in sin. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, verse 4, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus." It's only when we recognize the true condition of sin that we see the exceeding riches of His grace. The Christian life is not an upward journey in making ourselves better. The Christian life is not an upward journey in making ourselves better. It's a downward journey in seeing ourselves for who we really are. And it continues to be that every single day from our salvation forward until we see Jesus. You can check this. But I believe the first time Paul referred to himself in regards to sinfulness, I think he referred to himself as uh, something along the lines of, of the least of the saints or something. Well, then that escalated later and he said, man, I, I, I'm the, you know what? He's growing in this Christian life. And then finally he says, man, I'm not just, I, I'm the least of the apostles. Maybe he started off by saying I'm the least of the apostles. And then as his life went on, he said, I'm the least of the saints. And you remember what he said before it was all said and done toward the end of his life? 
I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. Well, wait, Paul, you've had all these years. Aren't you getting better and better and better? No. Paul had the understanding, and it's not that he was getting worse and worse and worse. It's just that the closer we get to God, the more we realize that how worse and worse and worse we are. But it's just that we're bad. We're sinful. And even when we do right, we can do right with the wrong motives. We can do right and get proud about it. We can do right. I mean, there, there's some people in here. We've had this discussion before. There's people in here that come from a more legalistic background, including myself, that I did right, kind of helped. It, it was there, there, not that there wasn't any motivation to be right with God, but I tell you, it sure was nice to be among the uh, elite in the church that were following all the externals so that you were accepted in the tribe, so to speak. So, all right, here we go. Jesus is better than you think. This is number two. Jesus is better than you think. Okay, here we are. See, this is the good part, and I spent so much time on the bad part, I'm running out of time now. Jesus is better than you think. He loves us equally through all our winning, losing, and trying. He loves us patiently through all our silly games and self-centered growth projects. He loves us even when we love our self-improvement more than we love Him. He loves us unconditionally and infinitely and perfectly with incalculable, incalculable, didn't say it better the second time, measure. God's love has nothing to do with us in the sense that He loves us in spite of us. We serve Him, but not to gain His love or approval. How can you gain something you already have? We honor Him, but not to, not to earn or be deserving of Him. That's how we act. I'm going to do good, Lord, and I'm going to earn this thing. What? No, you, you aren't. Um, we desire to accomplish His will and to glorify Him, but not in ourselves and not to impress Him or to impress others. We could never deserve Him, and we have nothing to offer Him but a broken life that apart from Him makes us nothing but messes. You've got to understand that. We don't need to be trying to offer God our good behavior all the time. We need to say, God, this is me, and I'm a mess, and Lord, without you, I can do nothing. But with your help, I know you can help me, and you not can just help me. Lord, through me, you can live this life. Through me, you can empower me. Now, it takes my will. It takes our will to give in to His will, just like it does with somebody that's not saved. And that's where I think if we could somehow understand that we're, that we're supposed to be living the same way we were saved. It would help us to live. Because it's the same way with the sinner. It's like, does the sinner need to do better? Well, no. Oh, so you just think they need to just keep on living like, no. But it's not doing better that they need. It's that they, see, they need to see that, that their sinfulness, they need to confess that, and they need to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to believe and receive His righteousness. Salvation is, the exact, or salvation is the exact same way as the Christian life is. This relationship with Him we have is. We're saved by grace through faith. Well, I'm going to try to do it. Well, now hold on. Think about those conversations you've had with unsaved people. Now, it's, it's not, you, you just got to surrender, man. You just got to believe and receive. And that's the way we're supposed to also li live our Christian lives. Admitting, acknowledging, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible trap when we're just always trying to make our old nature better. 
That's what, that's what behavior to me, modification comes down to. Improving the old nature. Well, you don't improve the old nature. You die to the old nature. If there's nothing good about the old nature. We must have his new nature. And behavior results. There, there's a behavior result. Uh, okay, let me, let me try to read this because I've got to give at least uh, five minutes, which gives me two minutes uh, to uh, get questions comments. You could never do anything or behave in any way that would make Jesus love you any more than he already does. And you could never offer him anything that he doesn't already have. We have all his capacity to love. We have his capacity to love. It's all mine and it's all yours. And this is critical because nothing motivates, stirs, and compels me more to worship and serve my Savior than the fact that He loves me in spite of me. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Um, all right, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you number three here. Grace is bigger than you think. Grace is bigger than you think. Oh, man, I forgot this one. Uh, yeah. Mercy sakes. Yeah, this is literally just the start of the grace section, man. Um, but grace is bigger than you think. Grace, God's unconditional acceptance and love, is the only environment in which true spiritual transformation can unfold. And I want to say that again. Grace, God's unconditional acceptance and love, is the only environment in which true spiritual transformation can unfold. Otherwise, it's just continual and extremely frustrating behavioral modification all the time. But in God's grace, we can truly be transformed and changed. Grace is the single greatest motivator for genuine love-based obedience and faith in action. Grace is the only climate in which God's work can unfold and which the Spirit of God can produce real fruit to His glory. Anything less than grace working through you is artificial fruit to self-glory. Important to understand. Uh, this may be a blank. My, a, mighty grace. Mighty grace. It's not about look at me. It's about how His grace can work in our lives. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a good, good example, you know, where Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I, I meant to bring a glove in here and talk about all that this glove can do, right? But a, really, a glove can't really do a whole lot in and of itself. It's when the hand goes in the glove, and then all of a sudden, the glove does what it does. And you, are not, you and I are a lot like that glove. We just need Jesus working in our lives to do that which we do. I mean, it would, and again, the, the, the way I look at the behavior modification model is almost like looking at a glove and telling a glove to go to work versus saying, Lord, I can't go to work without you. All I can do is lay here. Um, but Jesus, I trust you. I need you to do your work through me. But the thing is, is, is we need to, it's, 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 it sounds super like ironic or not making sense. Uh, but we need to stop trying. We need to stop trying. What are you talking about? I'm saying that we need to stop trying and just let, start living, letting God live His life through us. And again, grace never brings you short. Grace takes you farther. 
If, 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 you, if you are thinking of anything of grace that leads you further into sin or selfishness, that's not grace. That's just a, that's just a disguise for sin. Um, continuing grace. That may or not, may not be a blank. I don't have the outline. Continuing grace. In other words, thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll try to read these last two paragraphs here and I'll make sure that we, I'll give the time. You are a newborn spiritual being locked in an old sin-laden flesh, trapped between the law of sin, warring in your members, and the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. You are under construction, being worked on by the gracious spirit of Almighty God for the rest of your earthly days. This is the new you locked in an old container. Welcome to real Christianity. Welcome to real relationship where Jesus knows you intimately, accepts you unconditionally, walks with you personally, and works on you increasingly. Because of Calvary, Jesus is a good forgiver, not just the behavioral modification coach. Sin, sin struggles are here to stay until we see Jesus. We don't have to give in to it, but we do need to accept it. Accept that sin is going to keep rearing its ugly head. Accept that when you want to do that which is good, that you don't find it. Accept that. Don't, don't, don't give in and just say, well, I guess I'll just go with it. No. That's, you know, should we continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid. No, that's not what's being said. Okay. Um, I don't know if I made things any clearer or not, or if the people made things any clearer or not, but I'll go back to, to Ralph on this. Um, and, and maybe we just need to have lunch and talk it out. Uh, but do you get what I'm trying to get at? Okay. All right. Dwayne. <laughs> 